Today on the Margin X podcast, we have Tristan Frizza. Tristan is the founder and CEO of Zeta Markets, which is a decentralized options and futures market built on Solana. He previously worked in machine learning, but he quickly pivoted to crypto, seeing the rising opportunity to build derivatives on chain. We went deep on derivatives and structured products opportunities on chain, talked a little bit about international hotspots for crypto, and also how you can manage workflow better as a founder. Hope you enjoy. And we're live. How you doing, man? Not too bad. Yourself? Good, good. Yeah, just uh, settling down from all the travel for a little bit. Can imagine it must have been really busy. Yeah, you've been traveling too, though, right? Uh, a little bit here and there, I guess. Uh, but now now back, settled until, I guess, the, the next leg of the Bahamas trip. Oh, you are coming to Bahamas. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I'll Very see you cool. there in a bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not too long. Yeah, are you like doxxed by the way like obviously your name tristan is out there i wasn't sure if you're like fully doxxed yeah i guess i i try and keep it a bit more low-key but you know doing all the the talks and other public appearances uh it's a bit hard to yeah. stay on yeah you can only be so anon i've noticed that too especially like when you meet people um i asked because i had like another guest on and like location docs them immediately and then they message me and they're like actually maybe like can we cut that part out so i'm like trying to yep. be more cognizant how do you think about that though because i think um like for founders it makes sense to be not docs so there's like some sort of incentive or accountability there um and then i think like someone else told me like if you're like doing marketing it really doesn't matter but if you're like an engineer um and like something goes wrong and like people lose money then uh mm-hmm. you like want to be an on because there's just like more risk there so like how do you think about that personally yeah it's a good question i guess something we've been thinking about a little bit um me coming from more of like a traditional tech startup background uh it's like pretty unusual i guess um <clears throat> to see that because it's it's all about you're the face of the startup you kind of got to make a, a big deal and be out there doing all the uh kind of uh you, you got to be the face of the company that's what i'm trying to say um and if you were to go out there say like you know i did an interview on bloomberg and stuff and if you were to go out there with like a anime profile picture and a fake name <laughs> or a voice changer like they, they didn't buy that and especially when we we're working with like a pr firm they're like cut the crap on that like you know got to put your name out there and, and have your face out there so yeah, that's interesting when you deal with, I guess, traditional media. That's what they care about. You know, when you go on podcasts and stuff, um, I guess you can kind of use like a moniker or something or other, but, you know, it, it really depends. That's what I used in the early days was just my Twitter handle, um, which is just my first name, really, like a pretty lazy, lazy <laughs> handle, but something that was like, you know, an intermediary where it's like, I'm fine to use my name, but like probably not put my full name or something or other. Um, and then over time, I guess, as you do more like, professional stuff you have to go and like give speeches at conferences and stuff they kind of expect you to like fully dock so it makes things a bit hard um then yeah when you look at like the crypto twitter anons and especially like a lot of the developers and protocol builders like a lot of them i think just stay anon which kind of makes sense i think you get like a lot more optionality there to kind of do whatever you want you know you can build multiple protocols under different names <laughs> or something other which some people have done which is you know Fair enough, I guess. Um, and because you're just developing, like you don't have to have that kind of public face of the company. And in a sense, that kind of works. You know, it's like the whole Satoshi Nakamoto thing. You go and build great technology. You know, you kind of put it behind this this uh, this moniker. Um, doesn't have to be a real person. And at the end of the day, like the company is, or like the, it's not even a company. It's a protocol that's owned by the community. Um, it's not like one central person. Um, so it's been interesting to see how I think Bitcoin took off with that like no central person or at least like a not necessarily real central person or anonymous central person. And then uh, like Ethereum has been completely different, right? You've got Vitalik who's really the face, you know, if Vitalik was to like disappear, I feel like that would, that would, you know, kill Ethereum in terms of the price and, you know, people's support for it. So everyone kind of rallies behind Mm -hmm. that. Likewise, I think Solana, you know, everyone knows Anatoly and and Raj as like the founders and that's kind of like almost the face of, of that kind of business. So yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting dynamic. I mean, in our team, at least it's kind of, it's kind of half, half, like, I've been more public facing doing that kind of stuff. So I kind of have to give up that liberty. But like some of the other guys, I think are like a bit more like privacy conscious, you know, and, and kind of in a situation where they don't do much public facing stuff. And so they kind of want to be a bit more low key, which is definitely fair enough and totally respect that. Yeah, it's definitely like a, a very crypto native thing. I mean, like, I, I don't know any other industry. Um, and granted, I'm not like super technical. And I think it kind of stems from like the more uh, like technical focus people. But um, 
is like very crypto native and that's a good point you made that like satoshi like the very first kind of instance of crypto right was in a non-founder so it's interesting that it's maybe not a precedent but that like dynamics been there from the very start um so i'm curious like how did you get started with zeta then um like you mentioned your background before wasn't really one that was like compatible with being a non so i'm curious yeah about like your background and then kind of the whole zeta genesis story yeah nice segue um <laughs> so yeah i guess we started um maybe like a yeah it was a year ago pretty much so it doesn't feel that long <laughs> maybe it does i feel like you age in this space it's a long fast. time here yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long year um so i kind of started i think like I got into crypto in 2017 during that kind of big bull run, I guess, which was mm -hmm. when I just learned about like all the different coins out there and what was going on and what crypto really was. Um, but yeah, I would say like still sort of like a surface level understanding at that point where it's just like, what coin, what, what shit coin do I buy? You know, hoping <laughs> that it, it goes up a ton and, you know, you're in all those like telegram pump and dump groups and stuff. And <laughs> that was like an interesting learning opportunity and that kind of I think jaded me uh, about crypto for quite a while because I was like okay it's just like a lot of scammy behavior like insider trading like all this crap that's like uh I don't know it's just like felt like a bit of a get rich quick uh scheme which I think is like what people give it a lot of flack for that's why like crypto tends to have like these negative connotations for like outsiders who I don't think have like been intimately like exposed to the space <coughs> sorry and then um yeah essentially I like went off and, and finished my degree and because I got that exposure to crypto, I took some final year courses on distributed systems and working and, and kind of building your own proof of work blockchain and understanding like consensus mechanisms and distributed computing and, you know, how like all these nodes synchronize and kind of talk to each other and, you know, basically like put new blocks on the, on the blockchain and, and, you know, do all the kind of technical stuff that you need and kind of coding that up was pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, I guess I just went back and, and worked in the tech industry for a couple of years, which is great. I learned a lot of good skills there, mostly on the kind of quantitative side of like doing data science, software engineering, um, analytics, all that kind of stuff. And that gave me like an appreciation of like you know, big global networks and, and what you can do at, at scale with that. Um, mm. and, then, and then just, you know, having gone through COVID and like having, I guess, a, a period of reflection from like a bit of work burnout. Um, I decided like, hey, let's try something different and just, you know, you, you can't be doing the same thing for, for too long. So I decided to just pick up smart contract programming just on the side, uh, just for a bit of fun as like a, a side hobby, bit of a project. Um, ended up getting like pretty interested in it and reading up on everything that had happened in DeFi, which I'd completely missed at that stage, uh, the whole DeFi summer boom. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I was just like getting up to scratch with like all the financial side of things was kind of testing out. And I was kind of quite excited by DeFi because that was now like a legitimate use case for the blockchain. Whereas before it just been like, you know, Bitcoin as a store of value or, you know, even as like a payment method, it was, it was quite, kind of weak as a payment method. Um, then a lot of these other coins like didn't feel like they had real utility. It's just like launch a coin, try and pump it up as in an ICO as high as possible and just like dump on people whereas now it's like oh you have smart contracts like a global computer people can use it as like kind of a decentralized financial system like that's pretty awesome in my opinion um and so yeah we started building that out i just looped in uh, a bunch of my smartest friends from more of like the kind of hft trading space uh, and then we just started brainstorming ideas and, and came across like hey derivatives is probably like one of the biggest industries out there something that we're super excited about and thinks think that it has so much potential and it was like largely untapped at that stage everyone was doing like lending spot trading stuff like that uh, and so we decided to kind of kick off with with options trading now kind of supporting futures and you know trying to really expand that set of, of what we kind of cater for um under this uh protocol that we're building called zeta nice yeah do you th did you always want to be a founder or did you, like did you always kind of think about starting your own venture or was it more of like you saw this very timely opportunity that you had like the relevant experience for and you wanted to capitalize on it? Yeah, good question. This thing I didn't mention, I guess. Um, but like throughout like my later years at uni, like uh, it was, I think as you know, I did an engineering degree, like physics and computer science um, and like some robotics engineering. And then it was just very hard to, I think, find a job at that stage, even though you've got a few years of, you know, math and coding experience under your belt. 
um, people still don't want to take you for a job. And I was kind of like worried at that stage, like, how am I going to break into the workforce and find a job that I really enjoy? Cause that was like important to me. I didn't just want to work at some like dead end job that I hated. <clears throat> and so, uh, yeah, basically, you know, interviewed at like what Google and all those other places. And I just didn't have enough experience or, you know, they're expecting people who are like older and who just like grinded leak code and just tunnel like the data structures and algorithms questions to death. Uh, and so I wasn't obviously like fully up to scratch, you know, in, in my uni days, um, for that yet. And, um, yeah, it was like really hard to find some of those like awesome jobs. So I just ended up applying to startups, not really knowing what they were, um, and ended up getting, I guess, lucky and getting into some like really early stage ones and working in accelerators. So by the time I'd kind of finished uni, I would say I'd worked in like three, four, maybe, maybe five startups, you know, doing like anywhere between a couple of months to like a year and a bit's work, um, for each one. And, and through that, I think I just learned a ton because it's not like a uni course or like working in a big company where it's like the slow learning curve. It's like, Hey, you got to learn about like how to do AWS back to front. Um, and you just got to kind of like pick it up on the spot. And you just like learn incredibly rapidly all this stuff that you never got taught at uni and that you didn't know. And then there was just kind of this cool exposure to like, you know, raising funding, even though I wasn't doing stuff like that, you know, it was almost like shadowing the founders, you know, typically these teams are less than five people. So you're like pretty much involved um, in, in most things, I would say, even as like a super junior um, employee. So that was like really great experience. Um, and then I think through that, I got like pretty familiar with startup stuff. I was just like, reading a ton of like, you know, the, the typical startup books, like, you know, zero to one lean startup <laughs> and listening to a lot of like Tim Ferriss and like getting really around that kind of startup culture, which is also why I, I was, you know, very, very close to moving to the Bay um, for work because I just kind of really enjoyed that stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I just always had that, I think, startup uh, inclination towards startups and doing my own thing, even though I had never been a founder myself really at that point. Um, I just like that exposure. I was just like, I feel like I can do this. I feel like this is something I really want to do. And, you know, I went and worked in a big company for a couple of years and it was really great. Um, but there's a bit less ownership, I guess. Things move at a bit of a slower pace, even if it is like a, you know, progressive tech company that, you know, seemingly moves, I guess, fast for industry standards. Um, and then, yeah, it was just like a couple of years of that. And I was like, hey, I just really want to start something myself. And I, felt confident at that point where I'd gotten a couple of years of experience and I felt like I could pick up things uh, enough and, and was fast enough of a learner to, to take that experience on. And then, yeah, to your point, I think this good opportunity came, came about when I was just learning about smart contract programming, talking to a bunch of friends kind of in the industry. I would say my crypto network was still pretty, pretty tiny at that point, um, but just kind of exploring what was out there. Uh, it seemed like, hey, this is a very hot industry. Like there's a lot of stuff happening. And at that point, like everyone was just willing to throw money and resources at, you know, technical founders uh, who want to start something exciting in the space. So we just wrote up a white paper in our spare time, put a bunch of math equations in it and kind of sent it out there to the crowd. And, and people froth it, like they read it and they're like, wow, this is like not just some like Ponzi scheme tokenomics protocol. Like these guys are like thinking about it. They've got like background in the, in the right kind of domains. They know what they're doing. Uh, they've thought about this problem a bunch. And, you know, we did do a lot of ideation and yeah, like we were basically able to get on calls with a bunch of like pretty good funds and, you know, they, you know, a bunch of them gave us offers. And then at that point it kind of crystallized for me, like, Hey, I have this really awesome opportunity now where potentially could raise, you know, a few million funding off the bat and, and actually go and pursue my dreams and, and do a startup. And so I was like, I'd be kind of stupid, I think not to take the opportunity and keep grinding it out, you know, in, in a regular job and, you know, ended up just making the move, quitting my job and going full-time into it. Yeah, it's crazy that having that like institutional background and also kind of the the chops like with the smart contracts and understanding kind of like how crypto operates like as a market and as a culture, it's pretty rare um, just in my like brief experience evaluating other teams uh, that you have both of those. And so uh, it's not surprising that that was like a pretty big differentiator when you raised. Um, what, what did you guys raise again? What was like the round and who were the leads? Uh, yeah, so we ended up raising, I guess, in total, it was like 8.5 million. Um, and then our leads were uh, Jump Capital um, for that. And then a, a bunch of other great investors like uh, Race Electric. Uh, and then I guess like all the typical market makers. Uh, but you can read that off the, uh, off the, <laughs> off the news articles. Um, yeah, it was a good experience going through that. I think understanding how that worked. I think it was like a 
pretty successful raise for the protocol and I think helped it kind of scale um, pretty well. And now the kind of team and kind of contributor base of that has, has grown significantly um, with that kind of operating capital. So yeah, I think that went really smoothly, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, you mentioned a little bit back, like you had some friends who came from HFT to help you with this. So I know there's like multiple founders at Zeta. So I'm curious, like kind of how do you guys split roles between yourselves or like how did that kind of like separation work out? Yeah. So I guess it started with just like a couple of mates almost kind of hacking away um, in one bedroom <laughs> in a sense and just like building out through like a, a hackathon getting it together. Um, and then over time, definitely we've, we've onboarded more contributors from, from all around, all around the world, which is, which has been pretty cool. Like, like now having this distributed, um, team, or I guess mm. like a pool of people who, who all contribute to the protocol, um, which is, is really nice to see. And there's like a, a good diversity there in, in kind of some of the, the thinking, um, but yeah, it kind of boils down to, I, I guess everyone has their own kind of specialties. I would like to say that we have like a pretty strong engineering team and I would, say we have half if not more than half of our team is like can code and has like technical capability which is uh pretty awesome i would say whereas some teams like you know see like big marketing presence and then like one or two one or two kind of like key devs or something other like i think that are that are really tying everything together um so it's good that we come at things with like a, i think a pretty strong builders perspective um so i guess my my background my experience kind of lends more to doing like a lot of the traditional startup stuff, like, you know, growing the business, obviously, you know, finding investors, kind of helping a bunch on, on like the product and strategy stuff as well. Uh, and then I've been doing like a bit of engineering, but, you know, it's really hard to context switch, I guess, between like the normal operational day-to-day -day stuff that you got to do on the startup versus just like writing code day in, day out. Um, then we've got uh, some other guys in the team who are kind of like very technical, I guess, who who are like, pretty amazing at writing smart contract code and have been doing so for like the last year. So they've gotten like quite proficient. So, you know, they're really focused on that and they do like an incredible job and like, you know, maintain the repository there. We've onboarded some, some new backend guys, which is really great. Also coming from kind of more of that trading background. So I think they're super skilled and going to be like huge assets, um, helping build out, you know, you know, improve existing protocols, um, as well as kind of like any new features that need to get added in. So it's like a huge, huge help. I think having some more resourcing on that side. Uh, and then otherwise, yeah, we've got guys who like got pretty deep, uh, I would say options experience. So that's pretty invaluable given that we're building a derivatives exchange, like <clears throat> knowing the kind of mechanics of that from like a TradFi perspective, I think is uh, pretty instrumental, and pretty key. And then other than that, yeah, it's just like trying to get the word out there more, which is something I think that our kind of engineering and product team doesn't do quite as well. It's just like we tend to to put our heads down and and build, uh, and then just kind of like you know shut the blinds, sit in a room, and just kind of pump out code, uh, and then no one kind of really gets to see um, the fruits of our labor in terms of what goes out there. You know, like products will kind of get stealth launched, they go out there, and then like there's not that much fuss about it. Um, and so like been actively trying to change that a bit more. You know, now we have people more on the kind of marketing BD kind of side of things, getting more partnerships. Um, with other protocols as well as kind of fostering that uh, customer base that we're like always trying to grow and get the word out there and get people excited and at the end of the day now it's like we have we have uh like products out there and it's about growing the user base getting more people in there getting more liquidity um which is like now like the the big multi-year problem that we we have to tackle it's not just like <laughs> a ship a protocol to mainnet it's like the customer acquisition thing is like you know, this, this big hairy problem, especially when like DeFi, I think total addressable market is still or like the, the current, uh, market is, is still quite small. You know, you've still only got users on DeFi probably in the, in the tens of thousands, which is like pretty minuscule compared to what it could be if, you know, DeFi starts to rival, you know, TradFi or even like centralized crypto exchanges. Yeah. The, um, <laughs> yeah, like shipping to mainnet is almost this like existential issue, but then I mean like we're not live yet but it seems like that's like just the start of the work and once you're there like you have oh, yeah. to make it like the winner in a market and then like that, that was a big that, realization like... <laughs> I mean I, I knew it was going to be like a that's not like the end of our problems type thing like this is only like the the starting line not the finish line um but I think there was this kind of naive uh preconception from from people on the team that 
we ship this to mainnet, all our problems are solved. It's just like all hunky dory after that. Don't have to don't have to worry. And then like, <laughs> kind of chill, and then suddenly it just becomes like you know the best protocol on earth. Um, and that's definitely like not how it works. It's like you get the product out there, and it's like okay, you've you've just left square one essentially. Um, yeah, so that was a good learning, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, you might have answered this a little bit like through that answer, but I'm curious, like how do you guys think about hiring? Um, because it seems like the team's growing fairly quickly, so seems like mm-hmm. there's sort of like a growth team or like BD side uh, bend. But yeah, like in general, how do you think about hiring and scaling the team? Yeah, so I'd say we, we have almost like 20 contributors now, um, which, which is pretty cool. And I would say like a pretty sizable team compared to other projects out there, which is really exciting. Um, I think we started with the mentality of let's be super lean. And I think we're still in that mentality where we don't want to just unnecessarily like onboard a bunch of people for no reason um, because it just causes like managerial issues a lot more overhead for like me um, and some of the other guys to kind of have to go and coordinate efforts and, and think about who's doing what but it definitely helps a lot with the scope of what we can take on and given that the space there are so many opportunities we're definitely in favor more of like I think hyper growth um and onboarding more people because I think every person, you know, they kind of get whatever their compensation is. And I think, you know, people, even if they do like a reasonably mediocre job can like, you know, return, I think multiples of, of you know, what their comp is. So I, I think that's like kind of the mentality that we're at now is just like hire more people and especially keep the bar very high. Like obviously learning from, I guess, companies like Google where they just like try and hire like really top talent. Like we don't want to hire, I think just like mediocre engineers not that we ever wanted to but like you know i think really being selective um and getting high quality people people who are like independent who are smart who can like think outside the box takes so much pressure off me and the rest because you can almost entrust them with a bunch of work uh and then you don't have to kind of sit there and handhold and and teach them all this kind of stuff like people can kind of go learn by themselves which is kind of how we got started as well but yeah it's it's been kind of tough hiring in some senses um because like the talent pool is still very small and you got to think i think a bit bigger picture you can't just go out there with a job ad just being like we need a rust solana you know smart contract (laughs) developer because there's probably like 10 you know you could probably like counter on your hands in terms of how many free free guys there are out there in the ecosystem all them getting snapped up with probably like ridiculous wages and then yeah you can't really compete on that but now we're also seeing this big influx of people coming from traditional finance and you know these hft firms like i mentioned as well as like web2 kind of big fang tech companies moving into into this web3 space and so i think trying to get people who are just genuinely like super smart i think they can pick up the tooling in like at most a month or two and become like a really proficient developer as essentially what we need is like we learned all the solana stuff and I, I would say you know reached the kind of top few percentile um in terms of developers and, and builders in that ecosystem in like a very short amount of time which is not saying you can say for like other areas of research say you get into like i don't know ai or you're doing kind of like you know research in like electrical engineering or like neuroscience or something rather you have to go do like a phd and and be learning about this stuff for like pretty much half your life to to become into like the top echelon um, but here you think about it and it's like these networks have only been around for a couple of years so within a year you can really become like you know the de facto expert which is pretty cool and pretty exciting yeah that kind of goes back to like what we were saying at the very beginning because i think you said you guys were a little over a year in um and that's like a, a really long time well maybe not like a really long time but like uh, when you think about like kind of the life cycle of other protocols in the space still very early. Um, and yeah, we had like totally the same experience on the hiring front. Um, I think I pretty naively came in because um, I was one of the like first employees um, at MarginFi. And so I like watched this like try to add more employees and I was like, oh yeah, we'll just like put a job posting out there. And like people apply to the job posting, but it's just unbelievably competitive and it's so niche and such a specialized skill set that it's just very difficult to hire for all around so that's good you guys are having success with it but it's definitely something i've heard like every other builder in the space lament about yeah that's right it's like the the big common problem that everyone's having is like where do you find the good engineers (laughs) um so yeah on like the note of your team i know a lot of you guys are based out of singapore um is the company like headquartered in singapore technically yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like that's where a bunch of us kind of work out from. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, um, obviously that's like one of the big cities that comes up in any crypto conversation. But I'm curious, like uh, what specifically was like the draw 
for Zeta as overall? Um, or how did you guys, uh, like a lot of the team land there? Yeah, I guess it, it, it seemed like the, um, the, the kind of jurisdiction that was most progressive with its crypto thinking uh, at the time. So that was definitely something that was appealing. And I think seeing the trend of, you know, lots of big centralized exchanges and other parties kind of moving there, um, it definitely seemed like they were thinking about crypto um, in, in kind of uh, a better way than, you know, some other kind of places out there. Um, and yeah, since moving here, I think there is like a really good community, something that you you don't necessarily find uh, in like the rest of the world. You know, there's people from all sides, like tons of trading firms here, lots of, you know, kind of investors and VCs, as well as like, you know, more and more progressively more um, kind of builders here. Not so many Solana ones, but like a lot of Ethereum guys you can kind of link up with. So it's kind of cool having this like little internal community, like people kind of get it. And I think it's like more, you know, an accepted part of, you know, some of the culture here. So that's definitely nice. Um, I think otherwise, just like given that most of us were in that kind of APAC region, uh, the time zones lined up pretty nicely. Whereas if we were to move to like Europe or North America or somewhere, probably becomes really tough coordinating a team across like wildly different time zones. So that's at least been a little bit of a blessing. <laughs> it uh, it definitely does become tough. We've got a dev in Singapore, one in uh, Slovenia, and then I think the rest of the team is in the US right now. And we there's like literally not a time we can have like an all hands meeting because the like the time zones just don't shake out that way when you're as like globally distributed as it is so that's like it seems like a small thing but honestly that's like really nice having everyone geographically somewhat close even though everyone like touts how nice it is that you can work anywhere in the world so there's some like practicality to that um yeah was definitely. It, yeah was it always like Singapore for you or like what other cities did you guys evaluate uh i don't think we we looked into it too hard like i'd been here before um and i kind of enjoyed it here i think it's a good quality of living um so i think it was like a pretty natural decision saying that we came too quickly but you know we did a bit of a google search and like looked at all the the regular places you know obviously talking to crypto people you know a bunch living in places like you know puerto rico and whatnot i was not super keen to move that far to somewhere like that remote um because i still do want to see my family and friends from from time to time so this felt like a a pretty happy middle ground yeah, definitely. Did you look at um, Dubai at all? That was not really on the cards, I think, when we were making the move and thinking about things. But I know like the conversation has changed a lot where uh, there's been, I think, a bit more regulatory FUD um, around Singapore with some of the new regulation coming in. And, you know, a lot of the, the big thought leaders and <laughs> kind of uh, influences on, on kind of in crypto crypto space uh, have been talking a lot more about dubai and how that's you know the kind of next big hub um so it'll be interesting to see how that goes you know i've been to dubai before and i can i can see some of the appeal but it's also you know i thought he was hot enough like there's like extremely hot i don't know if i could deal with the climate to be honest yeah i've heard you like literally can't go outside in the summer not like a, oh it's so hot that like you physically it's dangerous to go outside during the summer so I yeah, I remember when I was there for a stopover, just like walking to the shops or something, or there was like 45 degrees or even even higher than that. And I was just like sweating like crazy. And I was just like, I don't know if I could live here for an extended period of time. Be, be a little bit tough. But, you know, maybe the air conditioning is really good. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we talked about hyper growth a little bit earlier. And you mentioned like uh, building a team that could like quickly move into new like segments or markets. So I guess first, could you just outline... Um, I guess we should have done this a little earlier, but like Zeta's main kind of offerings or um, like the segments you guys are involved in. Yeah, definitely. So we're very much focused on this kind of derivatives vertical. And there's obviously a lot of components within there that we're, we're trying to cater to. So our kind of initial product, which was uh, Zeta Dex, is kind of a serum based, uh, like order book based uh, options exchange. So for people who are, I think, already kind of intimately familiar with trading options in kind of traditional finance, that's kind of the approach that we're taking. Um, so rather than going down the AMM kind of super DeFi native route, we wanted to leverage, I think, what has been tried and tested in uh, traditional finance for a long time and using the Serum order book, which is this awesome primitive on Solana. Uh, I think it was like a really exciting thing where, where kind of our thesis is you're going to find the best prices, the best liquidity. Um, through that kind of uh, system. And so that's what we've, we've built out is kind of serum for derivatives. So we, we offer uh, dated futures, which no one else does, which is quite cool, uh, as well as options trading. So obviously your calls and your puts. Um, 
And yeah, that's that's been going pretty well. Like volumes picking up steadily, like people going in there and, and, and trading. And for the most part, it, it works really, really well. Um, we're also under collateralized, meaning that you don't need to post up the full margin to actually trade it. Um, and so this makes it just much more capital efficient to trade. So, you know, if you want one unit of exposure to Solana or whatever, you might only have to put up like 20% of the collateral to actually cover your position. And so that means market makers can actually come in there uh, and do a lot more with their money. So it's, it's getting really good bang for your buck. Uh, and same for like any other traders, you can go in there with a small amount of capital uh, and actually put on some some trades and have proper exposure um, without getting like, you know, these, these huge margin obligations that kind of are almost priced out of the market. Um, so that's been really cool. Um, and then, yeah, like recently, some of the TPS issues on Solana have been like a little bit annoying to navigate. But, you know, <laughs> during normal operating times, like, you know, it works really well. And I, I'm like pretty proud of the product in terms of I can pretty confidently say I think it's like the, the sleekest and, and most functional options exchange out there, which is not saying much, given that, you know, I think people have really struggled to, to build these kind of exchanges. But I, I think we've done it like pretty good justice. Um, and there are a lot of interesting and exciting uh, additional features and improved functionality that's uh, kind of on our roadmap for, for this quarter, next quarter that's coming out that I think will just like make it like a pretty viable competitor, um, even on like the centralized finance stage. Uh, and then other than that, yeah, we're big focus on UX. We've got like an awesome uh, bunch of guys on, on design and UX who are like building out something that is like really pleasurable to trade on. Uh, we've got like a nice UI. We've also got like a mobile app, which I think is like, you know, pretty rare to see in, in some of these apps, uh, which, which works really well. And just trying to appeal to, I think, like the whole scope of traders, not only like the pro guys, but also like any kind of guy that wants to come in there and, and learn how to trade options. I think we, we kind of make it pretty digestible because uh, like the biggest thing that we found is like options tend to go over people's heads somewhat or they tend to like be really scary or, you know, difficult to understand to trade. So we're actively always trying to think about like what are the barriers to kind of adoption here? How do we make it easier for people? Um, how do we make it more understandable? So that's kind of on the deck side. Um, and then more recently, we launched this uh, kind of product called Flex, which is to do with Flex options. It's basically, like you want to have full customization over what options you get out there. Um, whereas the decks is like standardized. It's like we choose the, the strikes and expires, or should I say they're permissionlessly kind of like generated based on like the, the Pith Oracle. This one's a little bit different where say you're a vault like a Katana or Ribbon, you can talk to our kind of uh, Flex contract um, which is kind of like this uh, public contract anyone can use to kind of mint and settle options. And so that lets you basically choose whatever strike and expire you want. You can like fully customize the option uh, and it almost acts in like more of an OTC fashion rather than like an order book trade. So you can kind of spin up any option you want of any parameters. Um, and then you can kind of use our kind of auction contract for that as well to do, you know, like similar to like an NFT auction where you can bid on it market makers will come in and, and bid for whatever the the kind of block of options that they want to uh, buy or sell. Um, and then that kind of trade will will happen. Uh, and then it, it basically allows for full customization. This is what these vaults want that are doing like covered call strategies, like put selling uh, and all this other stuff. And, and that's a really big market segment that we're seeing explode as of the last couple of months. Um, so like shout out to Ribbon for kind of pioneering that. I think that's going to be probably like a big new meta um, in this DeFi space um, and potentially totally. something that overtakes traditional yield farming and just like printing of tokens. Now you've got actual yield that comes from, you know, the premiums of, of these derivatives. Um, it's like what people are calling sustainable, sustainable yield. Is, um, is Zeta Flex permissionless too? Like, could I, um, I don't, I don't think there's a UI, right. But could I like bid and be the counterparty on those like uh, block orders these vaults are putting up? Yes, yeah, so that's what we're working towards. Everything is permissionless. So yeah, you could talk to the contract. You'd like spin up your own options essentially and, and do whatever you want. So that's the the beauty of DeFi, I guess, is like anyone can talk to this piece of public infrastructure and and use it and kind of host their own vaults and do all that kind of stuff. And we've built a lot of like, I guess, sample skeleton code for, you know, spin your own vault up in five minutes type thing. Uh, I did some like presentations mm -hmm. for previous hackathons on that. So, you know, people have been able to do that pretty successfully. And I would say our BD pipeline has maybe like, 10, 20 or more projects, um, which are all basically like launching their own variations of vaults and, and doing stuff with it. So that's something wow. we want to make like as a kind of primitive that anyone can plug into and having it somewhat standardized in the fashion that we've laid out, I think is kind of nice. Um, so that's pretty cool. And then, yeah, basically anyone can can go in there and, and bid on stuff like it is a public, you know, blockchain. So there's, there's no gatekeeping. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> open to everyone, um, which is pretty neat. 
Yeah, that's um, that's a lot of protocols actually. That surprised me. Are they all like Solana native? I know Ribbon came cross chain, obviously. Like, what's? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to like share your whole the the <laughs> alpha there, but I am curious, like, what that blend looks like and where these protocols originate. Yeah, so I'd say Ribbon was our first first client that we got moved over. Um, I guess the way it worked is like you know they're also based in Singapore. We caught up with them and I think they were interested to go cross-chain to Solana, but, you know, it's not EVM compatible, so you can't just go in and port your contracts simply um, over to the Solana chain and launch them there. So we came in there and we were like, hey, look, we've got a lot of experience. We think you're a great team and we can partner up on this. Um, and so we helped write, uh, like, the, the Rust smart contracts, kind of got that out there, and that was kind of the, the underlying basis for, for Flex. Uh, and then they kind of like hooked that up into their kind of existing system. And then, yeah, just had like a obviously great partnership there. Um, and then that kind of infrastructure that we've built is kind of like scaled and, you know, can be used by anyone now. So they were kind of like the first, I think, big project to come over from from EVM space. And I don't think there are many of that have bridged that gap yet. Everyone's just been waiting on Neon EVM to kind of uh, port their contracts over, but don't think they're <laughs> quite live yet. Um, and then the rest of the guys have, have mostly been like Solana natives. So, you know, like Katana um, is like a, a big one that we were kind of helping get live. Um, and then yeah, it's just like so many new ones coming out, especially like a lot of these exotic options protocols. That's like this new emerging market segment. So, yeah, just trying to support these guys and kind of democratize a lot of the infrastructure. And are you guys thinking about... Um being cross chain or maybe multi-chain like how do you think about um like with regards to expansion which chains you operate on yeah this is a question we get asked a lot uh and it's something i really want to do but i've also we've held off a little bit given that we are as i mentioned kind of engineering constrained only so many hands so many so many hours of the day and so many things that we need to do um but it's definitely something that I think will be super important, especially given that I think crypto will continue to have this kind of ecosystem of different blockchains that kind of work synergistically. Um, and yeah, so we, we've seen other protocols do it and we're talking to, to other kind of parties that do a lot of like cross-chain swaps or, you know, like bridges between different chains. Um, we haven't integrated anything yet, but it's definitely something that's kind of on the on the kind of medium to medium-term roadmap, I would say, to, to get something out there. Uh, and I think that just really taps into like a new liquidity pool. If you look at TVL, I think across the different chains, Solana is still at like 10 billion TVL, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But then when you look at Ethereum, it's like 100 plus, maybe like 120 or something, I forget. Um, so it's like, hey, there's this like huge, huge pool um, of potential liquidity out there that we're not even kind of able to see right now or like that no one can kind of tap into. But I think with like pretty minimal effort, Kind of building in some kind of bridging integration you come onto our website um and you kind of plug in your metamask uh, and then if you can kind of swap assets in into like uh solana usdc and then start trading that on our exchange like that that just brings down the barrier to entry so much and will allow all these other market participants to get in there and i'm still like a pretty strong believer solana has like i think a lot of really nice performance guarantees um and the fact that i think it will probably become like the de facto uh DeFi change is given kind of the speed performance and some of the primitives like obviously CRM and hopefully Zeta. Um, I, th- I think that will continue to evolve and it will come into kind of a, a field of its own. And then, yeah, we're still going to have all these other chains. But I think if you really want, you know, high frequency order book type, you know, CME type exchanges, like that's probably going to exist on Solana. Um, but we want to open that up, I guess, to, to the whole scope of people out there in crypto. Yeah, that MetaMask integration is crazy. We had... Um michelle on the pod a few days ago and i hadn't heard about it actually until she talked about it and um yeah i think that'll be like really cool if they if they can execute on that um and like you can just access that whole pool of capital that's sitting on ethereum right now um very much agree with uh kind of like the solana thesis and i think like people get asked this all the time like oh why did you build on solana and people you know kind of take a roundabout way of saying like it's fast and cheap. So I'm curious, uh, maybe not like why you guys decided on Solana in the first place, but um, if there were like any other L1s you looked at pretty seriously or um, just like any other ones you evaluated and were intrigued by. Yeah, so this was a, like a long time ago, I guess. 
we started building on Ethereum layer one. It would have been like start of last year, which is when oh, I was wow. just picking up smart contract programming and just kind of getting familiar with it and trying to understand like what it was and how it worked. Um, and obviously having done a lot of Java, Python type stuff, uh, I think the syntax was pretty obvious. Um, and to be honest, yeah, like a lot of Ethereum smart contracts, I think make sense and it's very easy to pick up. Like I just learned it in like, all the basics at least in a weekend and you know hmm. was looking through say like the uniswap v2 contracts and i was pretty blown away that like hey this thing that does billions of dollars in volume is like a less than 100 line piece of code <laughs> which was like kind of blew my mind i'm like this is nuts and like you know it's just like an xyk kind of calculation with some other frills in there <laughs> like it's it's nothing too crazy um so i was like pretty amazed with like with that little amount of work you can kind of build this this awesome protocol that lets you swap between any assets. So that was pretty powerful. Um, and so, you know, I, I just mucked around with re-implementing that, understanding how it works. Uh, and then we started trying to build our own things. You know, I was building like the the options kind of contracts and like the options factory on how to like mint new options and, you know, the kind of specifications around that. So that was really cool, like doing that in solidity and understanding what was going on there. And then I think very quickly we were like, oh, we need to do this stuff at like pretty high frequency. Uh, and then gas prices were like, nuts back then yeah and we'd use some of the other terrible yeah we'd use some of the other guys who had done it on eth l1 just to put on one trade you're paying like hundreds of dollars uh in gas fees and it was just completely prohibitive and so we thought like rather than waste you know months of our time building this out (laughs) and then realizing that it's not going to scale we thought like hey we gotta figure out what rails we're going to put this on that it actually ends up working um, so it was like then looking at like alternative chains or looking at L2 scaling. I think we talked to the Arbitrum team who looked really strong and, you know, obviously super smart guys um, from like that very, I think, like academic background, which I, mm-hmm. I kind of had a lot of respect for. Um, but then they weren't really quite ready on mainnet yet. They didn't have any like audible primitives. Um, and so, you know, we thought like, hey, we're going to have to do a lot of re-engineering and recreating the wheel so that seemed like a bit of a tough sell for us is like working on this platform that hasn't quite proven itself um and then i did more research into other l1 chains um seeing what the different pros and cons were um i don't remember exactly chains which chains i looked into is like you know most most of the standard ones um and then i think solana really popped out as like this is like very fast chain i read the white paper and i was pretty impressed by some of like the thinking and coming from that kind of data background where everything's about parallel computing, distributed computing. Um, that was what I think made me excited about Solana is like Ethereum is like a single threaded type thing. Every uh, transaction has to be processed sequentially across this big global network, which is like, I feel like would be insane in any other big data industry uh, where you're trying to scale a global network and everything goes through this one bottleneck. So the cool thing with Solana is like, you can tag all these accounts as like read, write, and then everything can just like execute in, in parallel. And you're using, you know, much beefier processes. It's, you know, Ethereum is very much like you can run this on your shitty laptop versus Solana. I guess, you know, what people sometimes criticize it for is you need these uh, much beefier nodes, I think, to actually end up running it. But as Anatoly puts it, it's like, would you rather be pulling a cart with a thousand chickens or one horse or something other, <laughs> um, which definitely makes a lot more sense. So. The kind of design decisions made sense there. I'm like, clearly they've seen what Ethereum's done well and what it's maybe struggled with. Uh, and they've kind of re-engineered it from scratch. It seems like a much more modern network, you know, don't know hundred percent if it's going to obviously succeed, but they had these really cool demos of like, try to break Solana. Um, and you could just run your own like local, you know, validator or something or other and spam it with transactions. And it would, you know, hold up to tens of thousands of transactions a second. So that was just kind of an impressive demonstration um, in and of itself. Uh, and then the fact that, Serum was out there that, you know, Sam and like FTX were like backing it super hard. Like that's like a great sign, right? You know, there's actually going to be adoption for this ecosystem. Um, and even though there were like very few protocols out there at the time when we started, it was just really Serum on feeder. Um, I was just like pretty excited by it. It was also the early days where you could get on the phone with Anatoly like immediately um, <laughs> because they were trying to find developers. So like, I remember Dom put me in touch and we just like got on the phone. Just like, it's pretty sick. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of like you know you know the the kind of processing engine and how like you know their runtime worked and stuff like that and i was i was impressed i'm like you know this anatoly guy is super smart like had a really good conversation with him and i just came away from that just being like these guys are, are, are pretty great and i'm like quite excited to 
to work with a bunch of smart engineers and kind of on this on this new chain that potentially um, has has a lot of like uh, good guarantees and yeah white paper was super interesting and yeah we just started building um, and then another another point I guess is like I'd wanted to learn Rust for quite a while um, which everyone kind of touts as like this new modern version of C++ almost so everyone had been talking big about it mm-hmm. I was like hey this is a great opportunity for me to learn a new programming language like get up to scratch on that uh, build on this kind of new Pro, uh, programming paradigm and, and, and learn Solana. And there were very few resources there at the time. So it was a tough learning curve. Um, but with Anchor and other improved tooling, things have gotten a, a ton better. Yeah, that's, uh, that's interesting. Rust is like a newer C++. I haven't heard that before. That makes sense though. Um, cool. So like one last question and kind of an extension of what we were talking about here, but like zooming out even more, um, why like what's your thesis on building on chain broadly like obviously we're bringing over all these primitives from tradfi um and they work too like for the most part in tradfi right like order books are successful there um so what is it for you that inspires you to build on chain and why should we decentralize finance in general great question so i think i started off being like a huge believer of transparency kind of open source software from the perspective of like everything can be audited. Um, the fact that you don't have middlemen as well, who kind of clip fees on everything. Um, yeah, it's just like a transparent financial ecosystem. Whereas I think when you use any kind of traditional banking stuff, there's like hidden fees anyway, you don't know what's happening with your money. You know, it's like really hard to understand. And like a lot of these apps are like incredibly clunky when it's just like, you know, it's, it's not like there's, I think, incredible stuff going on in the back end it's just you know you're kind of doing a bit of accounting now digitally <laughs> between a bunch of different computers right you know you add some numbers on on one and kind of subtract it from the other say uh, i'm sure there's like obviously a lot more than that but you know when you talk to people who i think work in the banking industry it's like i, I think it's also like quite legacy everything's being done in like vba and excel spreadsheets <laughs> and everything's kind of like i think very kind of hamstrung by tech debt and it's just like a lot of problems uh, and especially the fact that it's a bit of like a zero sum game in a lot of senses with i think financial markets everyone's trying to like compete against one another it's a lot of like closely guarded secrets and proprietary technology um which obviously i kind of hate um then coming at it from like a doing more like open source software i think that's where a lot of innovation is really taken off and if you look at like any other industry and just generally uh i think like web two technology i think if you look at like most major applications and stuff uh like everything is in some way powered by open source libraries software tooling you know like nothing would work if if there weren't these like incredible libraries that were out there that kind of supported everything um and so that's what really allows it to to scale and for people to build these you know massive massive you know consumer products that are just adopted by billions of people around the world it's like you know this stacking of lego blocks of you know code that you know uh maintainers have kind of uh gone and and built out and maintained over many years kind of uh thanklessly and then now i'm kind of i guess seeing the same thing in in DeFi. is like we've got a financial ecosystem it's like very tech driven obviously uh you get the transparency of like being able to read everything on chain it's like way cheaper you don't have to pay middlemen it's like instant transactions that are like borderless and don't have to deal with like a lot of the kind of bureaucratic bullshit there. Um, and then I think it scales so much better because everything like I'm become like a big composability maxi, which I guess you guys <laughs> would be too as well at really, margin yeah. five, but it's like you have all these different protocols, um, like these, these primitives for like, you know, financial actions or whatever that all can just natively talk to one another or with a bit of engineering, you know, obviously you can build this kind of common interface to all of them and they can all kind of plug and play and that's something you don't really see as much in tradfi or i think if two companies were to kind of collaborate you know they all have their their kind of own secrets and you know maybe there's like you know stripe has an api or whatever and you can like very easily integrate it and you know they've done a great job there but thing with like DeFi is like you almost don't need to ask permission or you don't need like authentication to use someone's thing or you don't not not in all cases you need to like you know pay for that service whereas in DeFi, it's just like hey there's like a piece of software out there i can talk to it like any other user could and i can kind of hook up my thing and it, it just allows for the stacking of different ideas um so i think that's really cool and you're going to have all these building blocks and you know we're at kind of level zero or level one where you know 
pro, uh, primitives are still being built out. Um, and it's almost feels like the early internet, right? Where it's like, you've got your very core fundamental kind of, uh, methods of communication or kind of, you know, you've got like your TCP protocol or something other that, you know, allows for basic communication or whatever. And then you, you start getting more interesting stuff like, you know, browsers and, and web applications built on top of that, that, that leverage these kind of, uh, core building blocks. And, and that's what you're seeing more now is like, you've got like an options primitive and now you've got like these vault applications that are user facing and they will also interface with like a lending application. Uh, and then you can kind of mix and match all these different functionalities um, to get really cool outcomes, to create new financial products that have never existed, to kind of stack yield and, and just be very, I think, use money very efficiently. So rather than it kind of sitting around in your bank account in traditional finance, like owning like half a percent of interest, like this thing's getting lent out on the blockchain, you're doing flash loans, you know, you're buying options against, you know, whatever position you have on. And then it's, you know, all, all these things are kind of working together in this synergistic way. And it can all be automated um, kind of inherently because everything is like, it, it feels like a financial ecosystem that's built for like a tech enabled age. Whereas, uh, yeah, I think finan finance has kind of gone through this re-engineering of where it's, you know, probably like it was a very manual affair back in the day. Even with like trading, it was all done in the trading pits. People just yelling at each other. And now they've had to kind of reform and, and kind of get ready for this uh, internet and computer-driven age. Whereas uh, I think blockchain very much is like native to that and, and makes a lot of sense. If you are building like transparent, permissionless digital money, like this is probably like the rails that it's going to be built on. Totally. Love that, man. Well, thanks so much for coming on and chatting. It was uh, great, uh, great chatting with you. And yeah, any like kind of closing remarks or uh, like news about Zeta you want to let the listeners know? Yeah, I guess so. Um, so yeah, our, our Dex is live. So feel free to to check that out. Volumes are kind of picking up. Um, so like, you know, definitely suggest placing some trades on there. We're coming up with, uh, I think, like a bunch of new exciting things and improvements to that product. Um, there are also like a lot of new protocols coming out there and building on top of us that I think are, are going to simplify the options experience even more. Um, and our kind of thesis is options are this great, uh, or derivatives in general, are like this great set of tooling to, to trade like the pros would. Um, and we're doing as much and working with as many partners to bundle up and package up some of these uh, some of these strategies, I think. So, you know, your regular user can come in there and 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 trade these these complicated strategies. So this is going to be really cool given that markets are all over the place. Some weeks they're, they're up incredibly, some weeks they dump like crazy. Some weeks we're, we're kind of in the crab market. And so the cool thing with, with the products that we're trying to offer is you can make money in uh, essentially any, any market, any direction um, with like the right set of tools. So that's what we want to enable people to do is like, you know, you know, get exposure when, when Solana rips upwards, but also, you know, don't get burned when the market crashes and then, you know, speculate on volatility and other things, learn to hedge your positions and manage risk. Um, we think this will just be like a great toolbox of uh, products that you can use to kind of uh, be profitable in any market, hopefully. Um, so yeah, that's lots of exciting things to, to kind of look out for there. Great. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, that wraps up this episode. Thanks again for coming on, Tristan. Awesome. Thanks for having me.